Good evening, everyone. Uh, friends, uh, our first reading and, and our gospel, the subject matter is prayer, and they're very different from each other. Uh, the Old Testament verse comes into the New Testament and Christ himself teaching. Abraham, as we, as we heard, intercedes on behalf of the city of Sodom, uh, which is uh, full of chaos and evil. And um, uh, clearly from the reading, uh, Abraham is troubled by, uh, if you will, by the idea of innocent people being punished along with those who are guilty of something. And uh, when you, if you read and you understand, he also has relatives living in that city. <laughs> Um, but that doesn't change what really I'm just note about that. Um, and he begins to, if you'll bargain with God, and uh, it shows certainly uh, intercessory prayer, but it talks, it tells us about God um, and, uh, and his particular demeanor in that moment. And uh, St. Paul tells us through baptism, uh, the Christian dies to the old sinful way of life, and rises to live a new life, a new creation, if you will. My friends, when we come to the gospel, um, it's customary in Jesus' time uh, that a rabbi who was known or notable um, or a prophet would teach his disciples a unique prayer. And typically, uh, the rabbi, the prayer was a formula-type prayer, uh, and it was based on what the rabbi was teaching. Uh, some of the Lord's disciples, as you re might remember, have previously been John the Baptist's disciples. And one of them is likely asked Jesus to teach them a unique prayer now. And Jesus responds with what we know as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Luke and Matthew, and these, this setting appears in both of them, but Luke and Matthew give us the particular form of the Our Father that each was familiar with. The version that we hear today is the shorter one uh, from Luke. The prayer takes the form of two sets of petitions. The first set refers to God, and the second refers to our needs. Jesus teaches us to address God as Father. In Matthew, uh, it is just Our Father. Uh, the former may be the original version, just as a note, uh, and may reflect uh, the later one, would probably reflects uh, some reformation later in the church as uh, they adapted the prayer. Either way, it is an invitation to approach God with intimacy, in which Jesus approaches him, his beloved one, his only begotten son, in the same way that Jesus approaches the Father. Jesus teaches us that our first concern must be God's concerns, and not our own. Uh, this is difficult for us. That first concern would be the triumph of God's cause, and as his children, our concern should be for the Father's desire then, that uh, his will be fulfilled, his purpose for sending his Son in our world, as it has been done in heaven. So we pray that God's name be blessed and respected, hallowed. How would be your name? That God will be blessed and praised on earth as he is blessed and praised already in the angelic realms of heaven. And we pray that his name, his will will be done obediently and lovingly on earth as it is obediently and lovingly done by the same angelic hosts in heaven. 
In praying this way, we are praying for the success then of Christ's mission of redemption, salvation, and of the reign of God on earth. The prayer next moves then from the Father's desires to the needs of the person praying. One asks for their daily bread, one asks for the daily uh, food and the needs that sustains the person and their family, us and our family, if you will. Bread here is generally understood as that which pertains to our welfare. Uh, could it mean the actual real bread, like bread that you bake? Sure. But uh, that is used as a symbol for our welfare. For if one's general welfare lacks sustaining, the family cannot, um, cannot sustain itself. And the other point too would be that no one can worship God uh, in its proper way and be attentive to the kingdom if they're overwhelmed by not having what they need. You see what I'm getting at? If God, we understand from the, Jesus has us approach God uh, with confidence and with love. And uh, he says, call God Father. And this is different from the way Abraham, Abraham, my Lord, my God, lest I make you angry, will you spare the city? You know, almost as if you were at a market with him. Uh, but that's for another time. <laughs> but Jesus approaches, says, I want you to approach God as Father and have confidence in him. And uh, he would go on in the scriptures to tell us if the Father provides for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, how much more will the Father provide for his faithful children um, when they turn to him for their daily sustenance? That would be Luke 12, 22. Friends, in this prayer that Jesus gives to us, we ask God's forgiveness for our sins. We ask it on the basis of our own forgiveness of those who have offended us. Um, we say they are fathers so often that the words seem to just go right past us, and we don't seem to really take to heart what, they're, what it's saying. And, uh, but uh, we ask for forgiveness from the Father uh, based on the fact that we have forgiven others. Mutual forgiveness among the disciples of Jesus is a precondition of God's forgiveness when it comes to the last day. You can go to Matthew chapter 6, 15, and you will see this presented. We pray also that we do not succumb to temptation, but are delivered from evil, which are two ways of saying the same thing. This has classically been interpreted as that in the time of testing, um, and the accompanying that comes with the end times, as Revelation would put it, or the coming of God's kingdom, uh, we may not fall prey to the evil one. It has been understood also uh, that in the terrible outbreak of moral chaos and confusion and violence, as the book of Revelation puts forth for us just before the end, uh, when the powers of evil seemingly have victory over the disciples, that they, because Jesus was talking to them, and we, who are the disciples today, pray that God will spare them, Jesus meant, and in our time, us as disciples, from the full impact of the final test. Perhaps today we might understand test and trial or temptation as the attack on faith or on the decline of faith. We recall that Jesus once said, he asked a question, 
when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith on earth? Luke 8, 18, 8. Our withstanding of the attacks on the church, on faith, in these times perhaps should be the deliverance that we should seek when we pray the Lord's Prayer. My friends, I'm putting forth to you uh, what this prayer is really about so that you come to understand it when you say it. Certainly we pray for other deliverances as well. May we be delivered from temptations that spring from our own weaknesses, from the things we bring upon ourselves at time. Um, may we be delivered from spiritual poverty. May we be given the grace needed to withstand each day's trials and the grace to survive the tests in whichever form it manifests itself in our personal lives. But also, uh, as we pray and we use this same type of prayer, we should have pray also for the grace to persevere in faith and hope, not in despair, but to persevere in faith and hope when we must bear a cross that comes into our life. And Jesus said, each disciple will have one. So as I look at our readings, our readings offer us an opportunity to relearn how to pray in the form that Jesus himself prayed. The Lord's Prayer is both a prayer and a schooling on prayer. It is a great gift of Jesus Christ to each one of us. It is a teaching on a prayer form and intent that forms our minds and our souls. My friends, as I said, we listen to the, our we pray it so much that it almost seems we don't understand the prayer anymore. So this gave me the opportunity to return to talk to you about the Our Father and its meaning. Um, my friends, we, um, I just want to quickly talk to you about, um, we have members in the Catholic Church that uh, suffer from celiac disease. And uh, some of them are uh, very severe and um, they can't have wheat at all. Uh, so, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, our host must have some wheat in it. And so we have what we call low-gluten hosts available. Um, and for the person with celiacs, it's the packaging stamps and tells how much wheat is in it. So they, they are usually familiar. Um, we always have it available, but um, if you have celiac disease and you want the low-gluten, please contact the parish ahead of time. Uh, or just before Mass begins, just to alert us, and we will prepare one of the low-gluten uh, hosts. We separate it in a glass so it stays away from the others. Um, from time to time, uh, you might see me uh, step down from the sanctuary with a chalice, and only one person receives from it. That is usually a person whose celiacs is so severe that even they can have none, no wheat. So the wine, uh, consecrated the blood of Christ, becomes their only option. In this time of the pandemic, the cup has been restricted. Uh, and um, that meant that the person who has severe celiacs can never have the Eucharist in this time. And uh, Christ has his ways always of doing many, many things. But uh, one of the options would be simply for me to consecrate a chalice and allow the person to drink from from that. So that if you've seen me do it, that's what I am. You've been great about that. Uh, Father, what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? What is that all about? Uh, everyone, I, but uh, I shouldn't assume that you knew what 
was behind the motives. But uh, last weekend at every mass, which was really unusual, but every mass had one or two families where someone had celiac disease. And unfortunately, as they approached is when they asked in the communion line, do you have low gluten? And we're trained not to really talk in that time. Uh, so I'm like, but the, because I didn't have it in the time, because uh, we didn't know it in advance. So I just wanted to talk with everyone, let you know if, if you have celiacs, uh, um, then uh, contact us and we'll make sure we have one of the low gluten. And uh, if you're not sure if you can, we can give you the low gluten host that's not consecrated in its pack to take home and just to try and see if it works. Uh, two of our members tried and it did not work. So I used the chalice with them. Uh, they got very sick just from the little bit of wheat that was in there. And my friends, that brings me also the opportunity to remind everyone as people have been coming back, um, um, we really must have a great reverence for the Eucharist because it's a great gift to the church. And uh, much respect for the Eucharist, especially in a world that does not believe what we teach about it. Um, and Christ is already offended by that. But from our own members, it should not happen. So I remind everyone, uh, when you come forward to receive the, the Eucharist in the communion line, um, it is an expectation that you will show reverence with a slight bow. Um, also remember, when receiving, uh, immediately consume the Eucharist uh, in front of the minister. Don't walk away with the Eucharist in your hand. My preference is to receive on the tongue, but uh, we have the right to receive on the hand, but please consume immediately. And remember, when the minister says the body of Christ, your response is not thank you. <laughs> That's what you do when you get back to the pew. <laughs> you thank God for that. The response is amen, and amen means I believe, uh, or so be it. So there's a response, and I know for those receiving on the tongue, you, you really can't, but... Um, as people begin to return, they've kind of just lost a little bit of this. And uh, we had a lot of people last week and also saying, thank you, body of Christ, thank you. And usually, to be in this, usually that indicates a Protestant because they're not used to the Eucharist and they're not sure what to do. So they say, thank you for it. So that usually alerts me to pull back from, because they're not allowed to receive. So I hope you would take this prayerfully to your heart and understand uh, as I continue to work uh, uh, to bring us to that that beautiful and loving respect of the Eucharist. Amen?